Welcome to It Came From The Deep, a narrative podcast series based on the novel by best-selling author Maria Lewis. Chapter 13. What are we looking for exactly? Kaya whispered. Anything that looks useful for, you know, keeping a pet aquatic humanoid? Exactly, answered Travis. They had to get Amos to the ocean as soon as possible and by any means necessary. The how part of the plan was less clear. So there they were. Travis and Kaya treading through Professor Victor Waldman's home in the hopes of finding something to move Amos in. Travis said there was equipment back at SeaWorld for transporting injured dolphins that would have been perfect, but they couldn't risk going back there, especially not tonight. It was too dangerous. Storm and Cabby had gone off in search of a ute, which would make the physical relocation a little bit easier. Her brother had a friend in construction who lived a few suburbs away, and he was heading there to see if he could borrow his ride temporarily. While Travis and Kaya waited, Amos had swum them over to his old home so they could enter quietly through the back. In all honesty, Kaya didn't like being there. This is where a man had been murdered. This was where he had sacrificed everything to save. Was Amos his son or his experiment? Or his pet? Their relationship was murkier than Lake Pallet's after a heavy rain. She sighed with frustration as she looked around the bare lab. It was filled with empty tanks and empty desks. In fact, there was an overwhelming sense of emptiness throughout the whole place. She paused when she came to the edge of the indoor pool that was part of Amos's home for over a decade. It was small, too small for anyone to live in. She shuddered at the thought of growing up in such a confined space. It would have been like being raised in a prison cell. No wonder he had survived living in Lake Palutz on his own. Sure, he had been lonely and scared, but he'd had more space to swim and explore than he'd had in his whole life. It had long been drained of water, and Kaya frowned as she carefully lowered herself into the pool. Her footsteps echoed as she walked along the bottom, looking for the drain that Amos had mentioned would suck him out to Lake Palutz every time the professor had taken him swimming there. She had envisioned it like a huge funnel that zipped him down to a much bigger playground. Yet there was nothing. She crouched down at the centre of the pool, her fingertips trailing the smooth concrete as she looked for any sign of what could have been his escape route. Professor Waldman had proven himself adept at hiding things. Straightening up, Kai thought about his tendency to disguise certain objects as another to test Amos's capabilities. Walking the pool's perimeter, she gently kicked the discarded filter with her toe as she inspected a series of knobs and buttons built into the edge. What are you doing? Travis asked, leaning over the side to watch her. Nothing, she sighed, fiddling with one of three air buttons. Just... Her sentence disappeared as a button sunk down flat against the surface of the pool, accompanied by a mechanical whirring sound. Spinning around, her eyes widened as she drank in the sight of an enormous hole now at the centre of the floor. Oh my God, she said, inching towards it. Looking down into its depths, she jumped as the edges of the hole began to close inch by inch of their own accord. 
That's how he got out, Travis whispered, sounding impressed. Kai looked back at the button, which had popped back into position seamlessly. It looked identical to the ones surrounding it, so identical that she began to question which knob she had actually pressed. How the hell did he get him back up into the house every time he took him for a swim? She wondered. He was an old guy. I can't exactly see him throwing Amos over his shoulder like he's on roids and lugging him up the embankment. There's a hundred different ways to do it, Travis replied. A winch, maybe? Or the edge of the lake is no more than 15 metres from this pool. If you laid down a slick, wet surface, he could pull himself up from one to the other. A slide, Travis? Are you saying an aquatic humanoid used a slide in reverse to get himself back in here every time? It's more likely than a theory about the professor flushing him down the drain like a dead goldfish every time he wanted to give him space to swim around. And yet, the scientist hit the button Kaya had pressed just seconds earlier, opening up the hole at the centre of the pool again to demonstrate his point. Touché, she muttered. Hmm, this could be useful, Travis pondered, moving towards a massive tank situated nearby. Yeah, only problem is getting it to the car, Kai said over her shoulder as she headed towards Professor Waldman's desk area. Some papers had been removed for evidence, but it was still a lot cleaner than the working conditions of Travis's colleague. There were various title charts and maps pinned on the walls, and Kai scanned them with mild interest. She was about to turn away when one caught her eye. It was a close-up of the North Queensland coastline near the Great Barrier Reef. It was only an A4, which made it an odd-shaped map. It cut off huge portions of geography she thought would have been useful. And then she saw it. Sketched in the corner of the map in pencil, so fine it was barely visible, was a pattern. It looked just like the designs on Amos's tail. She examined the map more closely. Travis, do you have the plastic sheets with you? Huh? Uh, yeah, sure. Travis pulled out the documents, which had been rolled into a cylinder and shoved deep within the back pocket of his pants. He walked over to Kaya and flattened them out. The clear one, I need the clear one. Here we go. He slid out the sheet and tried to wipe the water droplets from it, but she stopped him. Leave it, she said, watching as the glow of dark shapes began to form once again when liquid made contact. Quickly, she snatched it from his hand and headed for the wall to press the plastic over the A4 map of the North Queensland coast. She lined the sides up and looked at the map again, which was illuminated with the glowing arrows that pointed east from the reef. They went off in two directions that ended in the same place, marked with a small circle. Is that? Yup, she said. I think that's Amos's home. They stood there and admired the alignment for a moment. It wasn't long before the glow on the arrows started to fade. Before it was too late, Kaya made Travis take a photo with his phone. How did you know that would work? He asked her. I didn't. When the page lit up in the car, I remembered that I could almost feel something on it, like indentations. Then this map just seemed like a strange shape when it cut off most of the locations. Unless it wasn't the landmarks you were wanting to chart. It was the ocean, Kaya nodded. I also saw this, she said, 
tapping the small pencil sketch at the corner of the map. It looks like Amos's tail, don't you think? Travis leaned in close to see the marking. He looked back at Kaya, amused. If our search for a tank was futile, at least we've left with something. Thankfully, Storm and Cabby had better luck. Kaya watched nervously as Cabby reversed the ute as close to the lake's edge as she could, Storm and Travis directing her from outside of the vehicle. Whoa, stop there, Storm ordered, bringing her to a halt. It was as near as Cabby was going to get, given they'd had to do all of this without headlights to make sure what they were up to remained secret. They were so close now, they couldn't afford to get sprung. This is the Great Barrier Reef here, said Travis, crouching down to show Amos the picture he had taken on his phone, zooming in on the image. The arrows take two separate paths until they both end in the same spot, somewhere about 100 kilometres, maybe 120 kilometres east of the reef. Amos was concentrating hard on the image, as if trying to memorise it. So even if I'm not able to use my natural instinct to remember how to get home, now I know where I'm going. Yes, you just follow the coastline up into the warmer water, and once you find the reef, head east. And all of that's worst-case scenario, Amos added. Exactly, Travis smiled. Once you're in open water, you should know what to do, even without this. Amos was smiling at the news, but the wide curve of his lips slowly faded, as he looked up over the edge of Lake Pilots and towards Kaya. She was staring back at him, but couldn't hold his gaze. She glanced away, moving off to help her friend. Great, Cabby said, jumping out of the ute. Without a tank, now what do we do? Storm walked around the car, seemingly hoping a thought would come to him as he paced. It did. Why don't we just put him in the tray? Kaya looked at her brother for a long moment to see if he was joking. He wasn't. You don't think other motorists might notice a half-man, half-fish in the back of the car? Cabby asked sarcastically. Yeah, I know that, but it's nearly midnight. There's not going to be that many people on the road. We fill up the tray with water and... He dug into the back seat for something she couldn't see. He re-emerged with blue tarpaulin. We put this over the top and no one will be able to see what's inside. They'll think it's sand or wood chips or something. I don't need to be completely submerged, Amos piped up. I can breathe through my mouth until we get to open water. We just need to make sure it's damp enough so he's comfortable, Travis agreed. We can put a few bucket loads of water in the tray now to keep him wet and top it up along the way if we need to. How are we going to get him in from the lake to the ute? Cabby asked, pointing at the distance for further emphasis. Awkwardly? Storm shrugged. What if we get stopped while driving? Kaya asked. They all looked at each other with nervous glances. Then we floor it, answered Cabby. The strategy was rough at best. They intended to drive Amos as far north as possible, thereby giving him the best chance of finding his people easily. Maybe if they had been less ambitious, they would have made it further. As it was, they didn't even make it out of the Gold Coast before they were stopped. And not by the police, mind you. It was by them. Storm and Travis were squished together in the front cabin of the ute as Cabby drove, while Kaya had awkwardly shoved herself in the space behind the seats so she could keep checking on Amos. How's he doing back there? asked Travis. Good, Kaya replied. 
It looks bloody uncomfortable, but at least there's plenty of water. I'm trying to take the corners as slowly as I can, Cabby noted. You're doing good, hun. She patted Cabby on the arm affectionately as her friend kept her eyes on the road. Kaya had been switching her gaze from the ute's tray to other cars around them, which were few given the time of night. None of them owned this car, so she hoped that gave them an advantage if someone was tracking their usual rides. But she was still nervous. Kaya couldn't quite shake the hornet's nest that felt like it was about to burst through her stomach at any moment. How did they find us? What? asked Travis. How did they find us? She repeated. One of the reasons I went to you, besides our date, was because you weren't affiliated with the university. Sure, you had studied there, but you weren't one of their researchers and you weren't staff. I figured Hodgkins is how they found the professor in the first place, and if I started asking questions there, then they'd most likely find me too. Oh. Oh, no. Travis breathed. What? Storm snapped. Oh, no, what? I didn't know. I... Kaya's pulse quickened. Travis, what is it? I called Hodgkins University today to inquire about the specimens they took from Victor's home. I was trying to see if any of them were compatible with the kind of research we were looking at. Damn it, muttered Storm. I'm sorry, it's completely my fault. Kaya sighed. No, it's really not. It's my fault. I should have been honest with you from the start but I wasn't sure if you could be trusted. If you'd known what I was hiding, then you wouldn't have had to call the university. I trust them, though, he said, slowly unravelling something in his mind. I've known the researchers there my whole career. The head of department is an exceptional thinker. I don't believe any of them would have something to do with this or Victor's murder. Fine, so it's not them, said Storm bluntly. Let's not clear them so easily. Abby replied. Couldn't those guys, whoever they work for, be monitoring the university somehow? Kaya asked. Maybe they were waiting to see if anything popped up, and when you called asking questions, I gave us away, finished Travis. A loaded silence filled the stuffy cabin of the ute. Kaya asked Storm to wind down the window. Who do you think they are? Cabby questioned, glancing at Travis. I've been wondering that. My first thought was government. Why? While I was waiting for you at SeaWorld, one of the men had his weapon pointed on me, while the other was fidgeting with a gun that's a very technologically advanced piece of machinery. Storm straightened. A bazooka? (laughs) Brother, Kaya scoffed. This isn't a Dolph Lundgren movie. You don't think you might have noticed if he was carrying a bazooka? It's a make of tranquilizer that has been repurposed, said Travis. The prototype only came on the market last year. We were looking at getting some for the park because when fired, they inject the subject with a harmless and invisible chemical that can be tracked, similar to GPS. They were too expensive for us to warrant buying even one. The man with the ponytail was prepping it as if he was expecting to use it on whatever we had hidden. He put it away before you arrived and went back to his regular gun. Cabby crinkled her nose. That's what made you think they were government? Yes, but now it makes me think they weren't. Come on, Travis, Storm sighed. Pick a poison. Our government isn't exactly known for their generous contributions to the scientific community, he started. 
They wouldn't pay $500,000 for a device like that and then hand it out to bottom-feeding thugs willy-nilly. Then who? pushed Kaya, getting annoyed. If there's some aspect of Amos, some sort of property that can be utilised for medical purposes, then I'd bet a pharmaceutical company. That's my guess. They were planning to use that tracker on him, she stated, her voice sounding far off and distant. I'd say injecting Amos with the chemical would be the first goal these people have. That way, no matter what happened, they'd be able to track him. She blinked, fully understanding. They could trace him back to his people. Sure. Although I don't think they'd be keen to release him into the wild. Corner! Cabby shouted, nearing a roundabout. Corner! Kai repeated, turning to shout back at Amos just in case he hadn't heard them. The tarpaulin was strapped down tight over the tray of the ute, except for the part closest to the cabin window, which was where Amos stuck a thumbs up to express his thank you. I feel it should be said, continued Travis, that since you all seem rather attached to Amos, you need to be aware of what will happen to him if he's caught. I know, Kai replied, voice tight. Her mind had been running over the horrible possibilities non-stop since they left SeaWorld. He'll be locked up in some lab for the rest of his life, poked and prodded. She could feel her brother's discomfort as she outlined Amos's fate. He might act as if he didn't like the fish, but at the end of the day, Storm was putting a lot on the line to help him reach freedom. No. I mean, yes, he will be experimented on, but I suspect not for very long. The only way to perform a conclusive analysis and study is with a post-mortem. Cabby swerved the car ever so slightly at that. They'll kill him. Most definitely. Kaya said nothing. Suddenly she felt sick as she thought about Amos laying on some cold slab, uncaring strangers dissecting him like an ibis picking over a discarded fishbone. She closed her eyes. We won't let it come to that she said through gritted teeth. Kaya opened her eyes to see the incoming rise that marked the start of Daryl Watson Bridge ahead of them and felt a sense of relief. They'd been taking the back streets as a precaution, but the bridge was the last hurdle out of town before they could cut back to the highway. The final section of Upper Kumara River ran underneath the bridge before it joined the massive expanse of water that was the Southport Seaway, a nautical freeway used by fishing boats heading out to sea. Kaya peered out the window to look over the water as it sparkled with the reflections of various street and house lights. Shit! Cabby's shout was followed by the screeching of brakes as she slammed her foot down on the pedal. Travis and Storm threw out their hands to stop themselves flying through the windscreen while Kaya rolled into the back of the seats in front of her. There was a heavy thud as Travis's head connected with the glass and when he leaned back there was blood forming at a cut on his forehead. Amos hit the tray as the ute came to a shuddering halt and Kaya scrambled upright to see if he was okay. I'm fine, he said, head emerging from under the plastic. What happened? Jerking around to answer that question, it felt like the bottom of Kaya's heart fell out of her chest as she took in the sight. Three slick black SUVs were parked across the width of the bridge. They were completely blocking the road. To add to that, Half a dozen men and women in grey suits were standing next to the vehicles with guns raised at the car. We're screwed, breathed Storm. Standing at the centre of the collection of cars and people 
was a man dressed in the uniform of a SeaWorld maintenance worker. It was the ponytailed thug. Red and blue lights had been stuck to the top of the cars to make the situation look official to any passing spectators. But these guys weren't cops. They were less than 15 metres away from the ute and Kaya saw the smirk forming on the ponytailed man as he raised a megaphone to his lips. He maintained eye contact with them the entire time. Kaya did the same, never looking away from his face as she cautiously felt around in the back for her phone. She barely needed to look at the screen to know which buttons she needed to press. Switching it to silent and turning the phone on, she hit the address book icon and began typing letters, sparing one tiny glance before she hit call. She was grateful Sergeant Ferris had given her his number in case she might need it. Putting the phone on speaker, she placed it in the drink holder in the middle of the ute's interior. She could hear the vague mumble as he answered. Sergeant Ferris, we need your help, she said quietly, her lips barely moving. Fake cops at Daryl Watson Bridge. Calling the real cops doesn't make me feel any safer, Cabby hissed. The words were barely from her mouth when the man in the SeaWorld uniform began speaking. To the occupants of the car, this is the Gold Coast Police. We know you have a fugitive with you. We ask you to get out of the vehicle and raise your hands slowly above your heads. There's no need for anyone to get hurt if you do as we ask. The four of them shared a look. Yeah, right. You're not the police, called Storm out of the window. If you don't remove yourself from the vehicle immediately, we will be forced to fire. What other choice have we got? Travis whispered. Storm and Cabby both opened the doors to the car slowly, stepping out of the car with caution. Stay behind the doors just in case, Kai mumbled, as she began wriggling into the front seat with Travis. Why are there 14 of you? called Storm. Seems a bit excessive. Kai knew what he was trying to do. He was trying to give Sergeant Ferris as much information as possible if the policeman was still listening. She hoped he got Storm's message because their attackers certainly did. The man with the ponytail frowned at Storm's question and Kai paused halfway out of the car as she watched him react. He looked around for a second before a flash of understanding crossed his face. Turning to his cohort, he shouted for the benefit of the two night fishermen who had been standing at the edge of the bridge watching the whole ordeal. They have a gun! Fire! A barrage of bullets descended on the ute and Kaya dashed forward, yanking Cabby back into the car with her. They pressed themselves flat against the seats as the windscreen exploded into tiny shards above their heads. The sound was deafening as the bullets thunked into the bonnet of the car in an endless shower of noise. She saw Travis dive under the vehicle and hoped he could find some shelter there. Storm had run around to the back of the tray and was taking cover in the most protected spot. Well, not the most protected. Amos, stay down! Kaya screamed. She hoped that as long as he stayed within the safety of the tray, he wouldn't be hit by any stray bullets. The gunfire continued for what felt like a lifetime. Tiny pieces of glass were cutting into her hands as she attempted to protect her head. Kaya scrunched her eyes up as tight as she could, Cabby gripping her shoulders for dear life. Then it stopped all at once. She raised her head from under her hands, but not enough that she would be exposed over the dashboard. 
Travis must have tried to emerge from under the car as they heard him shout and the sound of a bullet hitting the ground near where he had been. Kaya hoped he had scuttled back under the car. Cabby's eyes were wide as she too glanced up, cautiously. Shaking her head gently loosened small pieces of glass from her hair. Kaya watched as her friend reached back towards the steering wheel, fiddling blindly until she felt the handle that controlled the lights. Cabby gave Kaya a smirk, before switching it on as far as it would go in the hopes the high beam would momentarily blind anyone trying to make their way towards them. A frustrated murmur ran through the group of people who had just been firing at them. Go, Cabby whispered. Go, go! Kaya nodded, sliding out of the seat backwards and onto the ground as she watched Cabby roll down onto the floor below. The last image she had of her friend was Cabby trying to cover herself in whatever debris had been laying at their feet. Kaya sprinted to the back of the vehicle. She screamed when she saw Storm laid out on the concrete, unmoving. She dived to his body and looked for the blood, but she couldn't see any. There was a massive lump on the side of his temple that was swelling quickly. Her shaking fingers felt for a pulse, and she let out a relieved sob when she connected with the steady throbbing coming through the skin of his wrist. He'd been knocked unconscious, and Kaya glanced up just in time to see the culprit ripping back the tarpaulin to reveal Amos underneath. The guy with the greasy, gross ponytail had used the gunfire as a distraction to sneak behind the ute and take out her brother. He must have been out of bullets. Incredible, he whispered, the words slithering out of his mouth as he stared at Amos in complete and utter amazement. Swivelling around to face him, Amos didn't look afraid, merely surprised at the man's sudden appearance. What happened next felt like it did so in slow motion. The man cocked a second weapon at his belt. A light went from red to orange on a digital display before a charging sound began beeping from it. The light turned green and the man took four steps back to get a clear shot as he aimed for the middle of Amos's tail. Kaya! Travis shouted from his position under the car. That's the tracker! She leapt up from her brother's body and sprinted towards Amos, covering the distance between them just as the man fired. The tracker hit Kaya right in the stomach, the impact knocking her back against the corner of the ute's tray. It was so sharp it pierced the material of her hoodie and tore through her swimsuit like it was tissue paper. She glanced down and could see the small knob that was sticking out of her stomach. Doubling over with pain, she groaned and tried to stay steady on her feet. There was hardly any blood. After all, the tracker wasn't designed to hurt the target. It was designed to infect them. She yanked it out of her stomach with a grunt and let the plastic casing fall to the ground, watching as it bounced along the road with a hollow clunk. Kaya felt Amos's hands on her shoulders, helping to keep her upright as he splashed to the edge of the tray to see the damage. You stupid girl! The ponytail man was furious and he stormed towards her, discarding the device and reaching for another weapon. She had been wrong about him being all out of bullets. He pressed the gun under Kaya's chin, but before he could pull the trigger, he was yanked up and into the tray. What? Wait! Kaya drowned out his cries as she stumbled forward, still clutching her stomach. A metallic taste was filling her mouth, she was sure it was due to the chemicals spreading through her body. She spat onto the concrete, but the taste remained on her saliva. Water was splashing from the back of the ute 
and the man's cries were dying off. Peeking closer, she saw glimpses of red spreading through the water and quickly shut her eyes. Derek, sir, do we proceed? An uncertain female voice belonging to one of the shooters came across the loudspeaker. Derek. That was the name of the killer with the ponytail. He was most certainly dead now, lying lifeless in the back of the ute as blood slowly spread from a head wound. Amos was panting with the effort of the fight and he leaned against the metal at the far side of the tray. The headlights had worked better than they could have hoped, with their pursuers oblivious to what had just taken place. They didn't know if everyone was dead, if the creature had been found, or if Derek had the situation under control. Amos met Kai's eyes, his chest still rising and falling. Travis finally scrambled out from under the car. Besides his head wound from earlier and a few minor scratches, miraculously, he seemed to be okay. The sound of sirens rang out in the night air and broke the tension that was running through the group. Kaya turned and saw the red and blue flashing lights of real police cars speeding in their direction. They would mount the bridge behind them in a matter of seconds. This was both good and bad. What do we do? asked Travis, who was looking between Amos and her. As much as the arrival of the police had saved them, it would ultimately be the end for Amos. If they got one peek at him, it was over. Look after my brother, will you? She asked, marching back towards the driver's seat. Where are you going? Not pausing for a second, she glanced at Amos, who had moved to the edge of the tray and was dangling his arms over it. She saw the complete and utter trust in his eyes. We're going over the bridge, she told him. He didn't even look frightened. He nodded at Kaya with a determined stare. The bridge, said Cabby, her head emerging from her place, curled up on the floor. You've got to be crazy. I've got to be out of time, Kaya responded, helping pull her friend up and out of the car. Help Travis with Storm if you can. Cabby was about to say something, her eyes glassy as she stared at Kaya. Pressing her lips together, her friend steeled herself and headed after the guys. Jumping into the driver's seat, Kaya started the engine and prayed the car would still turn on after everything it had just endured. It took two goes, but she revved the engine just enough to hear it splutter to life as she clicked on her seatbelt. She could see the people in front of her milling about in confusion. Some still had their weapons pointed forward, their eyes squinting as they waited for a command telling them what to do. Others had reacted to the incoming police presence and were dashing towards their cars, doors slamming as they dived inside. Hold on, she called back to Amos. Slamming the gear into reverse, Kaya accelerated back as far as she could across the width of the bridge. Revving the motor as she switched into gear, the remaining shooters finally realised what she intended to do. By the time they started firing, it was too late. Kaya hit the railing of Daryl Watson Bridge at close to 50 kilometres per hour, which was as fast as she could get to with the short run of road she had left. She ducked the bullets as they pinged around the hull of the vehicle and the ute shot off the top of the bridge and into the air. She felt like they hung in space for the tiniest of fractions before the ute started to plummet some 30 metres. Kaya had the seatbelt done up tight around her chest as she braced herself for the impact. They landed in the water about as gracefully as a hippo. Given most of the windows of the ute had been shot out, 
Water from the river began pouring in instantly. Kai tried to stay calm as the liquid rose around her, pouring in through the holes in the windscreen and shattered windows. There was no point trying to escape from the vehicle while this was happening. The water pressure would be too strong for her to get free. She'd end up wasting energy and probably trapping herself. No. She knew she had to wait until the ute was completely submerged before she would be able to swim to safety. Kai just hoped Amos was free and okay. As the water rose around her face, the last thing she heard before it covered her ears were the shouts of people on the bridge and fading gunfire. And then she was under. Everything was better underwater. It was calm there, quiet. She could just make out a few metres ahead of her as the headlights projected into the depths. Bubbles were emerging from everywhere as the last pockets of air disappeared. It was time to go. Kai reached down to undo her seatbelt and pulled. The latch was stuck. Yanking at it with all the force she could muster, she tried not to panic and release much-needed air. Then suddenly, a hand was wrapping around the clasp. With one incredibly strong pull, the plastic broke apart. She looked up to see Amos softly smiling at her. Kai tried to return the expression, but it was difficult when her cheeks were puffed up with air. He reached his hands out to grab her body and she tightened her grip around his as he delicately removed her from the cabin. He looked at Kaya with a question in his eyes and she nodded, signalling that she was okay to stay underwater for a while longer. She pointed in the direction of the Southport Seaway and he took off. Each second that he swam, he seemed to get faster and faster. Amos didn't have the perimeters of a lake to worry about anymore. There was only an endless path stretching out before him that led to an ocean. When Kaya thought she couldn't hold her breath any longer, she squeezed his arm. They came to the surface instantly, and she sucked in several big gulps of air. Blinking the water out of her eyes, she looked around. They were at the end of the seawall that marked the final stretch of the seaway and the beginning of the ocean. She turned to face Amos, panting slightly. He was grinning at Kaya as he held her tightly in his arms. We did it! She laughed at the tone in his voice. It was one she'd never heard before. It was more than hope or anticipation. It was the voice of someone who had a future. It was the voice of someone who was free. It was also, she realised, the voice of someone who had to leave her. Kaya's smile slowly began to fade, and as hers inched away, his did too. Come with me, he said, leaning in to emphasise his words. We can live off the coast as I make my way north, and when we... Amos, Kaya interrupted. She moved his hand to the flat surface of her stomach and to the tear in the fabric of her swimsuit, where the tracker had ripped through. I can't. Wherever I go, they'll know. His face dropped with disappointment. He was quiet for a long while finally coming to the realisation that this was it. This was the end. Whoever these people are, they will never stop watching me to get to you. Then I'll stay, he said, resolute. You live on the beach, right? I can stay offshore and we can see each other every... Amos, she said again, closing her eyes. We didn't fight this hard for your freedom so that you'd be trapped with me. All of the answers you've been looking for, your family... They're right there. She extended her hand over his shoulder 
as she pointed out towards the sea. It was rising and falling gently with the rhythmic movements of the tide. But his words trailed off as he stroked the skin on her cheek. Kaya felt the sting of salt as tears began to form. She leaned forward so that their foreheads pressed against each other. I love you, he said. Kaya jerked back, her mouth falling open in shock. Before she could think about it any further, before she could question herself, she leaned forward and kissed him. It was nothing more than a slow, tentative peck at first. Yet as their lips connected, something happened, something internal. Amos grabbed her face and pulled her closer to him as he returned the kiss. Kaya poured everything into that physical act. Every fear and every emotion that had been building came pouring out. Bobbing in the ocean, with their arms wrapped around each other, she kissed Amos deeply and with all that she had. Every other set of lips she had touched in her lifetime seemed insignificant compared to his. They felt as if they were built to match perfectly with hers. She had no idea how long they stayed like that, lost in the motions of each other, as they kissed and kissed and kissed. When they pulled apart, she wouldn't have been surprised to see the sun peeking over the horizon. But no, it was still dark, and only the faintest glow of the moon was visible across the surface of the water. Taking a shuddering breath, she couldn't untangle herself from him quite yet. Don't forget me, she whispered, staring into his big, wide eyes. Wherever you go, whatever you see and whoever you meet, don't forget me, Amos. How could I ever? He replied, watching her every expression. With a sigh, she pushed herself gently backwards and away from him. The second she was treading water by herself, it felt like she was going to plummet straight to the bottom of the ocean. You need to go, she said. They could be tracking me already. He didn't want to leave. She could see the reluctance in every inch of his features. Slowly, Amos lifted the chain of keys over his head and hung them around Kaya's neck. She looked down and fingered the metal where it fell into the groove between her breasts. Amos leaned in one last time and pecked her gently on the lips, sweet and quick. Goodbye, he said. With that, he was gone, ducking under the surface of the sea and towards his destiny. Kaya trod water for a few moments longer. She was desperate for one last look at him. Just when she had almost given up, a figure burst from the ocean far off in the distance. The long, black shape arched above the surface and plummeted back into the water. It was a leap of faith. To Kaya, it looked like a leap of freedom. This chapter of It Came From The Deep was read by Sophie Parr and produced by Adam Boys at Thaumaturgy Post Production Services. It Came From The Deep is the third novel from Maria Lewis and available physically from all good bookstores and library as well as online. It's also part of her Aurealis award-winning Supernatural Sister series which includes Who's Afraid, Who's Afraid 2, Who's Still Afraid, The Witch Who Caught a Death, The Wailing Woman, The Rose Daughter and more. This is the narrative podcast series with new chapters releasing every week and bonus episodes dropping in between with author Maria Lewis and myself, Blake Howard, breaking down the plot, inspirations and writing process. It Came From The Deep is part of One Heat Minute Productions.